if you're in like a well-funded like rich area then you're gonna have a good community mental health center um but yeah. if you're you know there, there are some places where it's like i'm fucked you're fucked everyone's fucked here like, you're just fucked situation. <laughs> like it, everyone in this area that suffers from this this this, this like the providers are fucked everyone's fucked we're all fucked <laughs> Welcome back to I'm the Villain. So today we're talking with Shrey again. He was on two prior episodes. He's actually our, th- our, our first third time repeat guest. Um, oh yeah, brother. Yeah. Before we talked about effective altruism and what was the other one? It was like uh, oh. financial health? Fi- financial, financial inclusion. Inclusion. Financial yes. Inclusion. Yeah. Yes, yeah. exactly. Um, and so today we're going to be talking about mental health stigma and like how it's kind of like weirdly trendy to have like certain mental illnesses now but not others and like (laughs) so we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna get into it but Shrey do you want to just like you know give the audience a a few sentences about yourself and like why you want to talk about this topic yeah so yeah my name is Shrey and uh when I was in high school I had um really severe OCD um, not the sort of cleaning your room type, but like the you know, scrubbing your hands until like they're raw type. And um, that sort of was my first experience with mental illness. Um, in college, I started experiencing um, depression. And more recently, over the last two years, I've been um, placed on the schizophrenia spectrum. And sort of seeing my journey through these and like how I t- interact with the people around me and with my employers, with um, even medical people, um, I really wanted to have a conversation about unpacking stigma and how stigma is different for the different ways in which people experience mental health illness. Yeah. And Trey sent us a really interesting YouTube video, which I'm going to link in the description that kind of mm-hmm. describes, um, that's like a WebMD video. I didn't even know that WebMD had a YouTube. Yeah. I didn't know WebMD <laughs> was like producing content like that. Yeah, me neither. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but they, you know, they, there's this profile of this woman with schizophrenia and it was so informative. Like I had no idea that, you know, it was such a, I just didn't know anything really about it actually at all. Um, and what I was actually wanted to ask you is, you know how they had all those effects where she, they would like, you know, replay the things that she was saying, like repeat and like, you know, they had these like kind of jagged effects in, was that supposed to be like an actual representation of what her internal experience was like, or was that literally just for the sake of like making it dramatic? I I don't know about like the jaggedy video stuff, but especially from like the, um, the, the backtrack that was on it and the voices there when I'm in crisis Mm -hmm. situations, that's very realistic to, to what I experienced too. Okay, so it was kind of trying to be like, this is actually how it feels to someone who doesn't necessarily have schizophrenia, what it might feel like. Well, there's another video that um, I can send you a link to to include in the description that has Anderson Cooper Mm -hmm. um, basically go through an entire day with headphones in and playing things that someone would be experiencing if they were, you know, someone who's living with schizophrenia would be experiencing if they were entering like a crisis situation. And they they have him do like some tasks. um, They like ask him like, okay, order a pizza or like, you know, um, answer this question and he just wouldn't be able to because he's like listening to the voices in his head and he's not able to discern sort of what's going on in real life versus what is, is being experienced like in his mind so I think like for from an empathy perspective that's definitely another video that I would recommend and share yeah mm-hmm. so is that something that you've experienced 
Yeah, so I have been um, hospitalized three times now um, over the last two years. And I'm thankful that I don't have like hallucinations on like a regular day-to-day basis. But when I do go into those crisis moments, um, I do experience um, like auditory hallucinations and most recently like some light visual hallucinations. Um, so that's like, I, I don't know how to describe it. For me, it's like the people are just in the other room and they're like just talking loudly and they're like trying to like send me a message. Um, that's like generally how it manifests. But I know that everyone has a different experience with, with being on schizophrenia spectrum and sort of what they like, what they're, you know, if there's delusions, if there's cognitive problems, there's more to it than just hearing voices. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I know you, you said that you've been working with medication management. How have your, how have your, like, have you found meds that have been successful yet? So, um, the answer is kind of tricky. So like the answer is yes, there is an, um, so after having tried a couple of different ones, you know, we are just trying to see what will keep me stable. And, um, there's an injectable that's like been shown to be more efficacious than, um, the, the pill version of it. Um, but my insurance, it doesn't cover the injectable. So I have to be on the, the pill version and just sort of like, maybe I'll get hospitalized again. I don't know. I'm still like working with my provider to understand what the plan is long-term, um, but I, I've like medication has been very effective for me in the way that it's gotten me out of crisis like that. I can say for sure. Like whenever I in, in the hospital, it's always gotten better and hopefully like within say like 14 days. Um, but I don't have like a real like mitigation strategy, if that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. So this is also, I mean, we knew this, but like, that's a really good example of how this is also intrinsically tied to our, just our shitty healthcare system as a whole. Right. Yeah. Which like, which, and again, it's like, it's really like how the money gets moved around, right? Because like, for the most part, I've had like really, really good like care. Um, but even then, like a lot of these community health centers are like trying to find like the best elementary school, right? And like, or like if you're, if you're in like a well-funded, like rich area, then you're going to have a good community mental health center. Um, but yeah. if you're, <laughs> you know, there, there are some places where it's like, I'm fucked. You're fucked. Everyone's fucked here. Like, you're just <laughs> like it, everyone in this area that suffers from this, 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 this like the Providers are fucked. Everyone's fucked. We're all fucked. <laughs> like, when like you I, I here... think of it, but it's like, yeah, there, there are definitely discrepancies in, um, and sort of like, I, so like in Raleigh, right. We have, um, like there's a reputation for like Holly Hill to maybe not have, um, like a fear free experience maybe i don't i don't know how to describe it but like there's a there's sort of this like notion that if someone is in holly hill it's like gonna be like a scary thing um because it's like one of the older um mental health hospitals that's in the area um but i go to a different one um that like is really nice it's like new and all i had to do was like ask the person at wake med hey can you not send me to holly hill um which is probably like my fault too. I accept that I'm sort of perpetuating this idea that Holly Hill is like a scary place. It's it's not. It's a, it's a people there want to take care of you. They want to see you get better. But um, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I was just gonna say, and Raleigh has, like, we have a pretty iconically and famously terrible closed hospital called Dorothea Dix. Yeah, which like, you know, where a lot of fucked up shit was happening. So there's like kind of a storied history with like mental health care in Raleigh, North Carolina specifically. Yeah. How, how did you like get diagnosed in the first place? Like, how did you find out? Um, I didn't find out. Okay. Um, I thought I was fine. I thought everyone else was crazy. 
um, and like was so it was in California, and it was um, my I happened to have an appointment with my psychiatrist, and he was like, "No, no, this isn't okay," um, and <laughs> had me put under like <laughs> uh, a seventy-two hour psychiatric hold. Um, what is that? Which, Oh, okay, yeah. So um, typically, so so in in California, it's called the fifty one fifty. It's also a Van Halen album. Um, <laughs> For that reason? Yeah, it's it's about this. It's okay. it's that um, a, a provider. There's like specifics about who can do this, but there's a provider who can mandate that you go into a mental health hospital or a hospital setting. Um, for 72 hours as a psychiatric hold. And this is sort of what we were talking about. And like, it's either because you're a threat to yourself or a threat to others. Um, and in California, also, if you're disabled and unable to provide for your own food and shelter. Um, so he's like, yeah, you, 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 you're checking some of these boxes. Like, we got we to gotta get you into a place where you'll, you'll be taken care of. And in my first psychosis, it was pretty turbid um, and like chaotic. And like, there's a lot of things I don't remember. And the things that I do remember, I kind of wish I didn't. Um, so it it was something that I was, I was glad that I was in the right place at the right time that I was able to get treatment soon. If I had like not gone to the psychiatrist and just sort of stuck to my regular schedule, I don't know how long it would have been before like I noticed that something was wrong. Um, and, you know, again, like people have different experiences with the, this sort of process. But for me, it was, it was like, no, like, what are you talking about? I'm fine. I'm having a great time. Um, so then what were I, the boxes that you were checking that he was like, oh, my God, this is actually really not normal? So I he said so I got the like the notes from that meeting, right, that he was taking. And um, I was definitely delusional. Um, I was definitely having a lot of problems with like talking or like holding an idea. Um, and I was like very agitated. So like I was like talking very aggressively to people and like uh, like not threatening them, but like making them, making it known that I didn't like that they were like talking to me. Um, and those things sort of externally pretty like revealed, yes, there was a lot internally going on that I needed, needed help with. Um, yeah. Yeah. But it was only because you had gotten in front of, you know, a professional that they were like able to take that action. But like those, you know, the things that you just described as like the warning signs could just, could be a reason that someone was like, you know what? Fuck you, Stray. Like I'm just not going to talk to you right now. You know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, so like DeAndre, I was talking to you during this time. So how did you yeah. feel about? <laughs> I mean, you know, it was it was clear to me that some shit was going on, but um, I think that, like, I think to you, I just talked to you. You know, like, but I was talking to some of our mutual friends in the background about like you know actions that we were going to take. Mm-hmm. But I think that that was because, I mean, I know it's because we have a pretty good, like, system of people, you Mm -hmm. know, you know, like, Shrey and I went to college together, and we have a lot of great friends from college. And I I think that through by way of those friends, like had some contact with Shrey's family and things like that. And we're able to kind of organize behind the scenes, whilst like, you know, just communicating with Shrey. Um, But yeah, I mean, in that moment, I don't think that any of us knew what the best action to take was, mm-hmm. you know, especially because you were, I mean, you were across the country and I, I, at the time was in DC. Um, and a lot of the people that we were talking to were like in North Carolina or in Georgia or whatever. So, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, I mean, I can't confirm that's how Stray was. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> just like, yeah, agitated. 
just like what made me like message this to deandre was like i was going through um like instagram and got an ad for um like a necklace that said like depression on it you um, did yeah yeah i did and i don't know how i got ended up in that marketing cluster um but it was, there's like one for depression and one for anxiety and i was like okay i don't know i've never really thought about this before like how do i feel about um you know, this balance between the destigmatization of mental illness and also at the same time like the, the commodification yeah, commodification of it, definitely but also like yeah like this is like a cool thing that we have is is this necklace um like, I mean, I'd certainly have been familiar with people who have, like, a dopamine tattoo or, like, a serotonin tattoo, um, but never really something like a necklace, which sometimes, like, to me, seems, like, so, like, disposable, you know? Like, so what was the necklace, what was the necklace of again? Um, it was, like, a gold chain necklace, and then it had, like, in gold, like, the word, like, depression in script. Got it. Um, and then there was, like, another option if you wanted to get one for, like, anxiety. Um, Got it. Okay. I, um, where's the where's the schizoaffective disorder necklace is that one that you could be making <laughs> <laughs> um i've always said that you know that society is quote-unquote accepting to you when it starts marketing to you hmm. yeah like that's what we were talking about with the lgbt stuff right like suddenly you know if you want everyone to be you know into pride then you you know then like nike and all of these big corporate brands coming to pride is also kind of comes with the territory right yeah and i i think that, like that there's definitely like some like i was trying to like unpack why that made me feel uncomfortable like yeah. when i saw that yeah. and it's like it, it seems that it was unclear to me if like this was actually a sign that stigma is being reduced versus like a sign that like things that are supposed to be like maybe more of a personal or private are now becoming public in a way that it's like glamorizing it. Well, what does it mean to have that stigma really be reduced though? You know? Mm, yeah. I guess like when I, when I think of stigma, right, it's like when you see someone in a situation that reveals quote unquote, that they have um, a particular like mental illness, then the reaction isn't one of either like fear or rejection, right? Like it's, it's something that you, can empathize with and sort of have an idea of how you would act in that way. Mm -hmm. And like, I don't know how, like, like, especially like, you know, from my, my experience, like if I'm like bawling and like crying, right. Like that to me is like wearing depression on my face and not like a piece of jewelry that I can like sort of take off. Um, so I think that's where like the discomfort kind of like came from, um, was not knowing, like, are you, are you empathizing or are you like showing off in some way, if that makes sense. Yeah. And also the the fact that right, there is no schizoaffective disorder necklace. <laughs> so it's like we are we are cherry picking the ones that we feel like are fashionable. So there's that video that I sent, which is about a woman in New York who has um sort of like exactly exactly that, right? Like uh, products about schizophrenia, um, with like shirts and like uh like pillboxes and you know like posters and imagery and and from for her like you know she's like feels like that's like a really positive thing to do to reduce the stigma and you know she's had like reactions from people certainly like this is this is how could you be doing this this is terrible but she sort of takes that stride and says sort of like what you said is like isn't that sort of a stigma in itself um like having that reaction um so 
I guess like it, it started for me with with the products and then sort of branched out um, into sort of like a pulse check of like where are we in contemporary society when it comes to stigma and mental health. Yeah, um, you know, as I I was sort of diving through the memory banks of like when I first became aware of schizophrenia, you know, and I feel like I have this memory of my one of my grandparents being like oh like those are people that hear voices in their head mm-hmm. you know and like probably to date the video that you sent like the nine minute video that you sent was the most comprehensive information i'd ever consumed about schizophrenia which is obviously you know society's and my own fault because i could have sought it out if i wanted to and i didn't and no one ever like worked like no one ever like it's not a priority of society to, to destigmatize it um but yeah i remember thinking about this like specifically schizophrenia as a kid as something that was really scary mm-hmm. and inadvertently certainly made me scared of people that had it you know or like view those people as like something to be afraid of mm-hmm. which is definitely not what we should be doing at all <laughs> well it's go ahead yeah no, it's 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 like, in some ways, I there like the way that schizophrenia is like portrayed in like media a lot of times is one where it's like violent and or in some way like dangerous or like threatening and like I don't know like there hasn't been other than like like Nash in um what's that movie A Beautiful Mind like there haven't really been as many movies. Um, that have, say, you know, a really strong, like, protagonist uh, who's experiencing, you know, some type of, you know, psychosis, as opposed to it is, you know, look at this, like, really scary thing that's happening to this person that's experiencing psychosis. Um, So I think, like, that's sort of where some of that fear comes from, especially when you're a kid, right? Like, that's all you see. You don't really have, like, an empathy for for that type of uh, experience. I mean, it makes me think of what is the cause of us, you know, having i mean the stigma is like just is just based in this fear right and it feels like as a society we are trending more towards being like okay all of the like you basically shouldn't fear people period right in the sense of like you know all of the like stereotypical situations that we imagine people like being afraid of and like you know women walking around at night in cities right it's like you know like, you know, if you see, like, a black person, do you cross the street or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. And now the answer to that is basically no, potentially, in, like, more, like, lefty circles. And, like, if you have someone, like, you know, if you see someone, like, you know, having a mental breakdown or whatever, right? I think the re- response now is, like, the the politically correct now is, response now is to be like don't be afraid of that necessarily but i don't know do people have like control over that if you're in a scary situation to like not have that fear response yeah it's i mean it's definitely something that is like i guess i guess like in in my mind it's it's something that like the person who's going through that experience is probably much more scared uh than the person that's that's sort of seeing that happen Right. So like, mm-hmm. is it's sort of the awareness that, that, wow, this might be scary to me, but what's going on over there is like definitely something that is, like, I can't relate to in this moment. And that's why I'm having this reaction. And I mean, that conscious mind is you know, so important to overcome that you know, intrinsic bias 
Um, but I mean, at the end of the day, you're right. Like people like who aren't aware that they have this bias can't consciously understand the bias and like work to overcome in situations. Like DeAndre saying, like this nine minute video being the first time he like really got into it. Um, like we don't really have like mental health like sensitivity trainings, right? Um, the way that we might have with other issues of stigma. Yeah, I feel like we get we're we're still in the phase where we're getting very generalized acceptance of like mental health stuff even like in the workplace right you can take a mental health day but you know when someone's taking a mental health day you're just like oh okay and like you, you don't think twice about it and like you assume that or at least i assume that if someone's doing that that like you know, they're just like, they're having a hard time, which is, which is like valid, but also could be something much more serious or less serious than that. Um, I just, I kind of put it into a certain box in my head, you know, but I think that going to Isabel's point about sort of a fear response, I think that like, there are lots of things that we have fear responses to. So the response itself, you know, whether it's problematic or not, it is what it is, but there are lots of, there are lots of times where we're scared, but we keep working through something anyway right you know like scared to give a presentation scared to jump out of a plane you know scared to go fight in a war if you're a soldier but like we want these people to work through that and like do the thing Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and so i feel like it's a fair expectation to yeah sure this person is scared but like we should be trying to break into the second the second order of feeling or the second order of thinking and you know be active on that but what does that mean like what is that second order right well you know i i think that's where in the situation that you were talking about of if some if someone's having a mental health breakdown i think that's where we need the education mm-hmm. and i guess like instagram right now doesn't really educate on that situation it's a lot of things like self-care right like uh as like a generic buzzword that's like thrown around or you know you have like those posts um that are like uh the, this is like what you should do um, it, like these things will help someone repress. Like, don't say this, say this, don't, don't do this. Like, those are helpful in some ways. Right. But, um, it's still not like, I feel like there's like that typically around like anxiety and depression, there seems to be this, um, like very open, like conversation and discourse as to what to do. But when it comes to more severe illnesses that may require, you know, like a crisis situation or like a hospitalization, like that is sort of like left to the open. Right. Um, like, you basically end up just calling 911 right and that in, in those yeah. situations and that that's kind of that. all we have is 911 yeah but uh... well that's that's why i was i was i was googling some stuff around like okay so what can you do and like what did we used to do and this is something that like you know my dad was telling me about because this was basically kind of happened right before i was born was like we used to have these like asylums basically as Mm -hmm. our go-to kind of like mental institution and obviously they were really well maybe not necessarily obviously but they were like really fucked up in a lot of ways and they would like you know really mistreat people but in in a weirdly like that was actually like an example of the state taking mental health really seriously and putting money into that in a way Mm -hmm. that we actually don't do now Right. Mm -hmm. And like when Mm -hmm. they got rid of all of those asylums, all of these people were just like basically just like put into the street or whatever. Like they don't have anywhere to go. So Mm -hmm. like that, that must have been such a weird like 
literal day i would imagine when they were just like okay like bye you know (laughs) (laughs) you know and and the idea was that there would be you know other services available that those you know patients could go to um but just the resources and the funding never manifested for that um and you know it's so it's it's difficult to like say depending on where you're in the country your experience with that side of the mental health uh like system is very different um like in general like in north carolina like a hospitalization would happen if you're a threat to yourself or others uh, but like in california they have like an additional provision where it's like or if you're like dis- disabled to the point where you're not able to provide for your own food and shelter right and that definitely opens up you know a lot of people who may need assistance but maybe aren't like explicitly um, you know, threatening to themselves or other people. Um, so like states have in some ways in these like sort of community-based health uh, systems have like tried to fix things since like the 60s and 70s, but there's still like a sincere like lack of like resources and um, yeah. But it's weird because it feels to me like part of the reason why they did get funding for asylums before is because there was this fear of like, oh, my God, we don't want these people around us. We don't want these people on the streets. Like, let's go, like, lock them up, basically. Mm-hmm. And it's mm-hmm. like awkward now because the less fear you have, right? <laughs> like, the less, the less you're like, to it. yeah. And so then it's like, oh, well, does that then mean that we're then just not going to... <laughs> worry about this and therefore fund it yeah i don't know um i mean i i guess like in that that, uh, article that you shared it talked a little bit about um like what happened to the people um after they were released from the asylums like and like most of them go to prison that's that's like the that's just like that's what happened right and um i guess like having systems in place before like making it a criminal thing like like if there's a sort of in contemporary conversation now with police right like if a police comes to a situation like that it's more likely to you know have whatever charges filed whatever situation escalate versus if you have like say you know like a crisis health worker uh who could maybe de-escalate and and get to a support and you know this is this isn't just like you know person acting crazy like this could be something very like internalized too right like someone who doesn't like outwardly portray like those experiences could also like need that support um but all that to say is like i I think that it's like really fucked up that um like prisons became the default like mental health support system for so many people Mm -hmm. i think it's like 16 percent of um of inmates have a severe mental illness Mm -hmm. um and like the only health care support they get is like through the prison system itself. Right. And a significant portion of the homeless population. Yeah. Yeah. Are also, also some suffer from some, from some sort of mental illness. Right. You know? So yeah, I mean, the proof is in the pudding, right? Like we, we never did anything (laughs) to really supplement this. Well, that's why it seems almost especially perverse that now that whatever, you know, mental health is a trendy thing to talk about and commodify. There's all of these services that are profiting off of these certain variants or these certain types of like mental illnesses, but the ones that literally make you dysfunctional, they cannot profit off of. Right. And therefore (laughs) are just not going to give any shits about it. Right. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, I feel like, I feel like our economy can profit off of anything. 
<laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, I mean, because like, I mean, let's take the woman in the in the video that we watched, right? Obviously, we're not mad at her for starting a business to cater uh, or to make you know merch for people that are schizophrenic, but she is. I mean, she's profiting off of that, right? It's not it's not mainstream, but companies could start doing that and you know would likely bring in some sort of income right so i don't think it's impossible but i think that it takes like you know some infrastructure around it like some some like you know i feel like people would look at the company weird because they didn't get it well i think the nuance is that she was a schizophrenic person that was like the things that she was selling was like you know shirts and stuff to presumably yeah. some people who were maybe schizophrenic but mostly non schizophrenic people right like it doesn't seem like she like that was really just more of an awareness thing as opposed to like for people who are homeless because they have some kind of mental illness like you can't literally yeah. profit off of them because they can't make an income because they're yeah. like have a debilitating right like mental illness right yeah i see what you mean you can't profit off of people that are in prison or homeless right well, exactly. well you can profit off of people in, that are in prison but but, but, but in a way more that. fucked up way yeah <laughs> again not, not necessarily like, right like <laughs> with their consent yeah right in a consumeristic way Right. So this seems like one of those outside of capitalism problems that like, how are you going to solve this thing for these for these people who have any kind of like actually debilitating illness? Mm-hmm. Right. You know? mm-hmm. And at least a lot of it. Um, so, I, I mean, especially like talking about like schizophrenia is like what happens after your first psychosis. Right. Like having um, like a support system, having, uh, you know, like help finding a job, having um, help finding a place to stay. Um, like those like core critical things that are important to like all types of health outcomes, um, but especially like that vulnerability period um, after the first psychosis is where things really just go either way, like in terms of the prognosis for like, um, for you know the the rest of the person's life. Um, and I think that like in in that article, or maybe it was a different article that I was reading, um, is like mental health in America, um, uh, where sort of like where are we now kind of thing, and sort of they're saying is like instead of thinking about where we are now. Um, like which sort of the Portland's police chief put it as like we are working in the backdrop of a fractured mental health system that has gotten worse and worse. Um, they said we need to frame it as uh, where do we need to be and you know find the the roadmap to that for the different services that that are offered. Um, so I mean I guess like all that's to say like it, ha- it comes back to having the support systems that's sort of like the fabric of our society um, to which there's like a lot of controversy in politics on how that should be enabled. But like things like housing, shelter, um, food, access, you know, stable job, that's sort of like the key piece that needs to go alongside any sort of serious, you know, case of mental illness. Right. And we, yeah, our country is notoriously bad at providing those things for people that need them. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But the thing is, like, you know, that that's the thing is, like, is there actually a better model like are there other countries that are dealing with this well i've never really thought about like how the rest of the world well i mean okay so in sort of like coming from like uh like zero generation like indian like background like it's like that stigma like that's like sort of the point of like yeah you don't even tell like the family members because you don't want them to like freak out and wonder what's wrong um and like i think a part of this is like generational too right like um like maybe like 
my my grandparents like definitely wouldn't understand my parents like are trying to understand um but like i feel like especially like millennials and gen z have sort of unpacked like some of the the stigma that's sort of associated with those mental illnesses um so i guess you know it's all that's to say like i don't know like what's going on in say sweden but um I'm pretty sure they're probably doing a better job than, than they are <laughs> oh, in the U.S. No question that they're doing a better job, whatever they're doing. <laughs> it's certainly better. Um, so why do we think it has become more in vogue to talk about mental health light? You like talk about self-care and like acknowledging the existence of depression and anxiety. And there's been, there's been a lot of really prominent people that have like come and shared like their experiences in the public forums, right? Um, like celebrities talking about their experiences with anxiety and depression. Um, like, like Chris Evans had like a, like an interview, like, you know, back when he was just starting off as Captain America and he's like, yeah, like I suffered from depression like very severely still do. And like, this is sort of like the, 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 the message I'm sending is that you can be whatever you want to be, even if you experience those things. Like those messages are definitely becoming more prominent. And I think that's a good thing, like by and large, right? Like to have um, those, especially those two mental illnesses become something that people talk about more openly. I think it's just like a function of, uh, you, you know, how common is it? And I think that we used to think of it as being way less common. And now as the wider population is realizing that it's actually a pretty common thing, Partially, I'm sure, because of, like, general forces in our society that are forcing us to be, like, in ever more, like, precarious mental states because <laughs> we're in, like, late capitalism and everything is, like, <laughs> dystopian now. And we're, like, you know, living on the internet and, like, doing all these other things that, like, is known to, you know, put us in a worse place mental health-wise, right? It's becoming – the thing that's, like, like, it's just becoming something that's, like, oh, you're not alone, Blah blah blah, right? And and like especially on, like via social media, you know, being able to react to things that have a commonality of experience, um, like I don't know, like that list of like Twitter and Instagram posts that you shared, just like like funny things that people are saying and like laughing at. And uh, the the one that kind of got to me is like there is like a text post like me me tapping my bottle of Wellbutrin. Like, are you working? Is this is this working? Yeah. <laughs> 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 um like, can you hear me now um <laughs> yeah like i i mean it's it's funny and like i i would i would definitely like like that tweet um well it's just part yeah. of internet culture internet culture is like is very much embracing the culture of like being an introvert and being like you know mentally kind of edgy you know mm. and like mentally kind of like it's like very edgy and cool in like the ways that you're describing of it being kind of trendy Right. Mm -hmm. To to like, you know, tweet out like something about your mental health. Yeah. Right. And like owning it and like laughing at it and like, you know, making jokes about yourself is also very like edgy and cool and millennial. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. Which is like, I don't know, maybe it's part of internet culture because like legitimately people who spend probably more time on the internet, maybe it is correlated with having more <laughs> <laughs> mental health problems. I don't know. Who knows? <laughs> I mean, I have no idea how uh, if someone has like actually studied that, but it wouldn't it wouldn't be surprising to me if that was the case. The more time you spend staring at a well, screen. Well, we do we do know that Gen Zers 
do have higher rates of depression and anxiety. And, you know, I don't know if, if we have done the causation thing. Right, it's a causation yet. correlation thing, right? Right, but there is, I mean, it seems like the biggest difference between them and like three generations back is their exposure to the internet and social media. Mm-hmm. So, you know, correlation, causation, whatever. Right, but it's also interesting because like, uh, like any kind of like mental whatever illness or abnormality of any kind is like defined that way because it is not the norm, mm-hmm. right? And now mm-hmm. that as it becomes the norm, I think that's why it's so trendy now, right? Because like if everyone is depressed and anxious, then uh, you know, like then you can that's cool, yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> yeah, I think there's also been like I feel like for both depression and anxiety right there is the like sort of clinical diagnosed version that we talk about and then there's like what's i feel like what's more colloquial which is like someone that might not have been diagnosed with with depression or might not be you know um have the chemical imbalances but like they'll be like i've been very depressed the past couple of days or i've had a lot of anxiety the past couple of days right so like we, it seems like we're also through regular language um, sort of becoming more accepting of like just these two things as moods. Yeah, and like the, the, the lexicon is definitely shifting. And I, I think that like um, there's a lot of like, and, and not like sort of like a suffering Olympics kind of way, like my depression is worse than your depression. You don't really have it. Not, not like that, but more like people who, self-diagnosed but then don't follow up on like the professional help because they feel like they're getting all the support they need from what they already have right and so like that sort of um like you know uh, even even to the certain point people being like oh everyone should do therapy therapy's great you know therapy is something that's really there it's like yes but there's like lots of different things therapy does for people in different situations right um like I think that sometimes conflating therapy with like life coaching is is like probably the the place where it's like, well, no, if you if you're experiencing these things that are in the DSM five, you should probably um, speak to <laughs> someone about like professional help. Uh, yeah, and there's like so many different kinds of therapy, and you know, not all therapy is good for all kinds of people, and yeah, so like it's just not as it's not as simple to just ask or tell someone to go to a therapist. <laughs> yeah. And it's weird, too, because, like, unlike with physical health problems, it's all just defined based on, like, what is the, quote-unquote, like, average human experience. And it's, like, hard to really know that, like, what's going on in the average person's internal head, right? Mm -hmm. Compared to, like, with other types of health problems, there's, like, a very definitive, like, okay, you're sick, and this will fix it. Right. Yeah. Like the the lack of like a test, right? Yeah. Like a real, like a real, like objective test to see, like you know, is this what you're experiencing? Right. How are you ever gonna know, really? Mm-hmm. Right. So. And it's like, and it's kind of scary. I mean, like one, we've obviously stig- stigmatized people taking meds for their brain of any kind. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, I've heard, I have heard, you know, I've heard stories of like people having it's it's hard to find the right medicine. Right. Like yeah. it's, you know, and it's and I feel like that process can also be arduous and be scary as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, I've been it's it's been maybe four years now that I've been trying different medications for different things. Um, and like that, you don't you don't hear about that on Instagram. You know, they never tell you about <laughs> like, hey, yeah, this is uh, so like this is like I tried this and this and this. And this is my experience. And so I went down 
isn't it great like that we all have the support for each other um and it's like that that's part of like medication management is something that like i always feel like uncomfortable like talking to even like some of my friends about right because it's like it means like you're you're trying something and it's not working and like that like either could make them react in some way that you know they're they're like worry about me or they're you know a little scared about like what's going to happen um so i i think that like that point especially about like treatment and like what treatment looks like and what treatments like means for different mental illnesses is like definitely something that's like not in the open conversation um for the most part yeah yeah one thing that i thought was kind of interesting about all the articles that you shared was that they were all women and it seems like one of those things that like because of the stigma conversation that we're having right now right it seems like one of those things that feels way more okay for women to be these like you know advocates like the woman in that video that we were talking about than it would be for men because obviously there's a higher you know likelihood that people will probably assume that there's some kind of like violence involved for a, mm -hmm. for a, for a guy to say like oh i have these mental health things going on than for a woman that's my mm -hmm. assumption do you agree with that yeah yeah i mean i hadn't like thought about that but i mean it's definitely something that i would validate i mean so i personally am like a five foot nine 135 pound person like i'm not i'm not a, I'm not a threat to anyone um <laughs> like, yeah, if, if, I had, if i had a different body and the same things happen i imagine that people's reactions would be very different yeah yeah i mean this is a good example of how the patriarchy hurts everybody right yeah well that's why the stigma conversation is also really like kind of it's just complicated because it seems to me like it's one of those square rectangle issues where like it is the case, you know, if people are worried about like whatever, whoever, you know, you listen to or listen to stories about on your like true crime podcasts of like mass murderers, you know, being like these people with mental health issues, it does seem to like they, they do like based on this article that I sent you guys, it is the case that like, you know, of mass murderers, like 20% of them have these crazy mental health issues. And like almost by definition of the fact that they're trying to kill all these people, probably like we define that as them having a mental health issue because that's probably not a normal quote unquote yeah. impulse definitely, to have, right? Definitely a square single situation. Right, so sure. I think like the issue is really just that like we, because like, you know, we do associate that with things like violent crimes there is like this association like, oh, if you have a mental illness, you must be violent or you must be, you know, scary in some way, right? Whereas like the reality is that like that's such a small proportion, but I feel like it's really difficult to work against that because like the quote unquote, like kind of the stakes are high, right? For people, if obviously like not if they're actually around like most people are not actually around people who are like mass murderers or whatever, but I think that's where this fear comes from right? Is just the uncertainty of not knowing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And also sometimes people that don't have these illnesses kill people too, you know, totally. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, I get it. I mean, it's hard, it's hard to, it's hard to work against for sure. But I think that like there, the general movement of our society is just towards like being more educated about shit, like X, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, in and, my mind, that's the only thing you can do, right? Because fear is literally born of uncertainty. So if you can just like put more information out in the ethos, which is good that we have the internet for that at least, mm -hmm. then that seems to me like the only thing you can really do to try to combat the stigma. I yeah, don't know if you, I, yeah, what do you think? Well, so I know it makes me think of like how, 
um, I, so when I was in San Francisco, I had this one friend who like, I was talking a lot with while like I was going through my first, uh, my first psychosis and like, it just happened that they also, um, had like someone in their family who had experienced something similar. Um, so they knew that the, the next step was, okay, like got to get you in front of a provider, got to, you know, see if you can get a psyche valve done and sort of go from there. Um, they sort of did a better job of recognizing the signs that I was showing. Um, so, I mean, like so much of it is just like, you know, for me, privilege, right. That I like had the money to be able to like go through that process that I have these friends and that I like, am not, you know, a 300 pound person, right. Like all, all those things like sort of go into play, but it's, it just goes back to like the things that are fundamental to supporting society, right. Like having access to, to housing, having access to, um, you know, a job, having access to you know, food. And if you're not able to do those things, then being in a place where you're supported until you are able to do those things again. Yeah. And like, you know, beefing up our mental health care infrastructure in general, right? Like, I think it's interesting. I don't want to keep bringing up, you know, like violence in relation to these people. But like, one thing that like, listening to true crime has taught me about people that commit crime is just if they do have mental illness that like there were many opportunities for intervention as they grew up but our system failed them you know like mm -hmm. there was you know there they showed signs of whatever throughout all like you know throughout their school schooling career and there just wasn't the infrastructure there that we needed mm -hmm. and you know i think that yeah i mean like more infrastructure and in this would help everybody. So what would that like, do we have like, do you have a conception of what if we had that ideal, like support system that would look like? Yeah, I mean, I think that I don't know if it, I mean, it, to me, the first thing that comes to my head is like, we should be one, obviously educating kids more about their own mental health. And like educating teachers about what what mental health you know, like what mental health looks like in children. And also like, ideally, I feel like we would have mental health professionals in every school, like, you know, and like some system to like, you know, enable kids to be able to talk to these people. Mm -hmm. So like one, one memory that I have that's like pretty vivid from my adolescence is um, when I was 13, I told um, one of my friends that I was going to kill myself. And sort of the within the next day, um, they had me pulled into like a counselor's office where they were asking like things like how things going in my life, what are you know things. And it's like like so like, why did you say this sort of thing? And you know, I was like thirteen, so I was just like oh, I don't know. It's just sort of how I felt. Um, and it didn't like it got to the place. It was like okay, I just needed to like realize that that means something much more serious than like the nascent feeling that I'm that I'm like experiencing. Um, but if it hadn't been for that conversation, like, I don't know, like, where my, like, mind would have taken me, right? Um, if that would have been sort of, like, the route that I went down. So I was really thankful to have that intervention of, like, with a counselor in a public school setting. Um, so shout out Wake mm. County. Um, shout out Wake County. <laughs> North Carolina. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, and, you know, for every X amount of strays, how many people didn't get that? Yeah. You know, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Shout and out Wake County. Uh, shout out Wake County. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, we children spend so much of their lives in school, right? Like we spend 
most of our lives in either school or work. And neither of these places give that much of a shit about how we're doing in our heads. And I mean, that has to change, right? <laughs> Just generally that has to change. Mm-hmm. So I think that would be a good step. <laughs> Dude, why is it that whenever, like, I, why is it that, like, I assume that, like, the the general whatever axis you're looking at, like distribution of like mental health attributes in human beings is probably like kind of a normal curve, right? <laughs> Why don't you ever hear about like m mental aberrations in a positive direction? Why is it always like this horrific thing? You know what I mean? So, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> like you're saying sometimes. It, Why is it, it must, all it like, oh, you know, sometimes, right? Right, right. Why didn't you hear about that? <laughs> it is. And it's, it's when, when you're hearing voices, it's like, they're not always. Are they always bad? always bad? Oh, they're not always bad? No, they're, they're not. And it's like typically in my experience in hospitalization, they've only gotten bad once I've gotten into the hospital. Like once I'm in this like strange setting and and doing it most of the time it's like friendly voices um oh so then the hospital seems like it was doing a was making it worse for you then uh yeah but it's, it's one of those things that like i don't know if it would have gotten even worse if i had just like stayed out of care right so i mean like definitely in my most recent hospitalization when i got to the the place um you know it's like a three or four hour process to get like intake into um, these facilities and I was not having a good time while I was there um, like my my hallucinations were really intense my like I was definitely losing touch with the reality um, but like once I like sort of became comfortable with the situation and like started receiving some of the medications that they were giving me it was like definitely better to like be there after um, yeah because like the woman in the in the video she was like oh I still hear voices when I take medication, but they're saying nicer things. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I say like I, I would, I didn't notice that anything was wrong when when I was like uh, going through my first psychosis because I thought, you know, I'm like getting all these revelations, I'm having all these new ideas, um, but it definitely was something much more like difficult, more complex than that. Yeah, and also like I feel like if I recall physically during your first psychosis, like you weren't. I mean, you were sending me messages 24 hours a day, right? So you like, you weren't sleeping. Yeah. My, my sleep disturbances are the, the biggest triggers for, um, the symptoms that I experience. Yeah. So it's like, you know, there's other stuff going on besides yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. 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 Lifestyle a, a bit of a, I'm definitely, huh? Maybe what? Life, like of lifestyle changes, if you will. <laughs> yeah. Like eating, um, or <laughs> like eating a meal, um, <laughs> sleeping at night. Yeah. Those things. But, um, I, uh, I'm definitely, um, a, a late bloomer when it comes to, uh, like psychosis related things. I think most people experience their first symptoms when they're in sort of college years. Um, uh, but I got into like my early twenties before things started going off. Um, I wonder why that is like wh why i'm a late bloomer but why 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 is it that like i would have expected you to say that you if, if, if this is something like you have it's something you had from like childhood sure no it's it's something that like a lot of the early signs were mistaken as other things right so like i don't know like i i always had like bouts of like high energy low energy high energy low energy 
but mm-hmm. never anything that I thought was like like manic or depressive in any way. Right. Um, but like in hindsight, I can look and be like, oh yeah, like that probably isn't. I probably should have told somebody about that. Um, or like when it came to like ideas or like trying to form connections between concepts, sometimes things like I say were like kind of outlandish, and it sort of just became a part of my personality that I'm going to say something outlandish. Um, but it's like, oh no, maybe like I don't think that way anymore. Maybe that that's something that was like aside. So do you um, happen to know whether this is something that's more of a genetic versus environment thing? Because I'd assumed, I had totally assumed it was a genetic thing. But no, if everyone gets no it in college, gene. it seems like that's more of an environment thing. Yeah, there's no gene. It's a combination of um, like, like exactly like nurture and nature. Um, I can't tell you, you know, why. Um, so I, I vaguely remember in my first hospitalization, they said something about like sleep apnea having an ish- impact on sort of my my prognosis and i'm like i can't find any literature on that outside outside of like that one interaction that i had with that one doctor mm-hmm. um to like i don't know who knows like, maybe maybe there's like something going on in my life or in my upbringing that sort of influenced this going on yeah uh, I, I have i have some ideas but i don't want to talk about them. do now. they do they like um <laughs> is it just because it's not very well studied it's very understudied no, I think I think like there is a clear picture. So with like diagnosis, like it's often something that like you have a working diagnosis and you're trying to figure out what this is go like, what direction this is going in. Um, like DSM five is like sort of the manual that like lays out okay, this is how you what the diagnosis would be. But you know, it still sort of takes time for a, something chronic like schizophrenia. And so I, it's unclear to me still like it is a schizoaffective disorder, um, like you know bipolar type, or is this you know full fledged like schizophrenia? Um, and like that that's something that like I haven't gotten a clear answer on um, like either way. Um, and I probably won't until you know I have another episode. Or I don't have another episode. Damn. Yeah, which underscores that there's like still a ton that we don't know, just about shit. Well, are people like knocking down your door to try to study you? Because I assume there's not. I don't know what percentage of the population, you know, how common. Um, I think it's is. like one in a million. No, one percent. It's one percent. Oh, okay, that's a big difference. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I was just thinking I'm one in a million, so I just, that's the first thing that came up. One in a million would be so few. That would be like only seven thousand in the world. <laughs> Yeah, one percent is a lot, though. Yeah, that's a lot. I had no idea. That's that's like way more common than I was expecting. So it basically sounds like no, they're probably not knocking down your door to try to study. I mean, I, if if there was a, a as someone that works in clinical trials, if there was a clinical trial that wanted me to participate, I probably would. Um, but like, there are like effective like treatments and right? like people like j- just like what she was saying in the video, like you know, people can live like full normal, you know, I mean, achieving lives. Right. And it's it's really within the last like it's like wow the eighties are forty years ago okay um, but like eighties <laughs> like the development of like atypical antipsychotics and and the sort of a better understanding of you know, how therapy can fit into you know sort of managing um, what people experience like that's really where I think that that wave has come back and sort of stepping away from you know put them away to like bring them bring them together you know that that type of thing. Mm-hmm. Is there like a community of the, um, that you're like you know tapped into? So NAMI, uh, and I think it's like the National Alliance for Mental Illness. Um, they have like 
a lot of opportunities to, well, I mean, the main point is to you know, be a mutual support network for other people that you have, you know, have been through this experience with, or you have family that does it. They have programs to help like family members that are sort of struggling with, you know, what a particular diagnosis is and, you know, how to like live with the, their loved one with it. Um, there's like support groups for each other. Um, there's like discussion groups. So I would like, if anyone listening to this is looking for support, you know, definitely professional help, but also like NAMI is a really great community. Um, and it's like very community based. So like, um, like the one in the one in San Francisco is like super, super like well, like organized and structured. The one in, I haven't really like reached out to the one that is in you know the Triangle area um, since since I moved back. But um, and I know that that's something that uh, people can definitely take advantage of and use and benefit from. Uh, yeah. Cool. I just really like to not know anything about any of this at all. <laughs> Same, dude. You know? Well, I feel like you must have known more, DeAndre, because you are friends with Shrey. I mean, I knew more by that, like by, by like way of that, yes. But like, like how much of this not... is like, you know, like the first time you're learning about it? Well, I think that like, I didn't, I didn't know what the active experience of someone that has schizophrenia on a daily basis is, right? I knew that like, I knew that there obviously is a difference between like a regular day and like a, a day in crisis. Mm -hmm. um, well, how often is that? Is that like an, uh, is that happen that often or is it like, oh, once every five years yeah. or something? No, it, it, it's been uh, my last two birthdays and then the February before. Yeah. Um, so three times over the last year and a half. Yeah. Okay. Two years. Yeah. Okay. So it, like, would you say, especially given what you said that, I, which was, like which i found surprising that like it doesn't necessarily have to be like negative or isn't always necessarily negative like would you say so it, that it's a net negative so it definitely is my like subjective human experience is not negative but like the impact that it has on my life my work the people i interact with the interactions i have outwardly those are definitely negative uh, <laughs> okay definitely negative and and i'm like thankful that i got the treatment that i'm that i got and that i'm getting um yeah. so that that doesn't happen again but like, yeah. I mean, I'm not having like a terrible time like while that's going on until I get into a situation or a setting that makes me uncomfortable or makes me feel vulnerable. Because um, yeah. the, uh, the schizoaffective disorder, it's like responsive to your environment, yes? Uh, yeah, it, it's correlated with mood. Um, so, you know, depending on... So sort of like the idea that I become like hypomanic, that might be a sign that... Um, like it is closer to like that bipolar type schizoaffective disorder. That that was what my discharge diagnosis was after my second hospitalization. But they sort of opened up the book again um, based on sort of how the most recent one went down. Like it's it's difficult because it's not like I have like a checkbook. It's like how do I feel today? Like not depressed. Am I hearing voices? No. Like I don't have like that sort of data. It's a very subjective experience that I don't know. Like. But, I, I I don't I have ideas of what the triggers are, but I, I don't know for sure. So it's not the kind of thing where you're like you go to work every day and you're like, oh my god, I have no idea what's gonna happen. It could strike at any point, right? Um, no, it's it's something that it's like more gradual. Um, so I normally, well, I say normally, like the last two times I've had enough of like an intuition that something was happening that I was able to like notify someone at work that hey, I'm gonna be out for you know two weeks and like it's gonna be like a medical thing. The first time I didn't tell anybody what was going on. Uh, the most recent time I did like elucidate to my manager that it was like mental health related. Um, and like, of course, everyone's like going to be supportive that you're, you're going to a hospital, right? Like that no one's going to be like, oh, but can you like check your outlook? Like, <laughs> <laughs> um, 
Um, but like, but like, one thing that uh, I don't think I knew, I definitely didn't know about um, before I was in a mental health hospital um, was you're, you're not going to have access to any technology. Right. So there's like no phones, no, like you, you can use like the phones that they have if you have a number and you want to like call out from, but you don't get, you don't get to keep your own devices. Um, there's no internet. There is like usually TV. So if you wanted to like watch a TV in the common area, then that's something. It's that going to be like, do. what do you do then? What do you do every day? <laughs> you wait for the medication to kick in. Um, but like, are you literally just like day. sitting in a room like what? Yeah, you, have, you have like a bed and you like have a roommate so you can like socialize um you they let you bring in like books and stuff so if you wanted to read they also have books there and so this is like the hospitals in california was really really helpful for me because they structured every day to like the minute um mm-hmm. like at this time this is gonna happen at this time this is gonna happen and it's like that was the structure I needed to get a routine back and like be able to like live life again. Um, the one that I go to in Raleigh um, is not that right. Like there, there's still like things throughout the day. You have group therapy, you have individual therapy. Probably if, if you're first, if you're just like coming in for the first time, um, you meet with the doctors. You um, have like uh, sort of like structured recreation time but it's not the like rigor of a schedule it's sort of like okay at like 115 i think we're gonna do this mm-hmm. um kind of kind of thing they i'm sure they have like a a schedule is given every morning but like it doesn't really fill up the whole day um so it just depends on your experience in terms of which hospital you go to but um yeah how many other people are like there with you it depends um how big a unit is um maybe like 15 to 20 in the one that I was in, in California, maybe like 20 to 30 in the one that here I was in, in, in Raleigh. Yeah. Mm. Didn't you say that you played basketball with somebody and they like dunked on you? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> 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 yeah. We were playing basketball, playing rec and um, I was not good. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's, it's people of all ages, right? Like, um, like people like young like some like some the youngest person who I met was like maybe like thirteen or fourteen. Um, the oldest person there was like maybe like seventy five. Um, so I it just people from all walks of life that are experiencing some type of like mental illness. Maybe not you know what I was experiencing, but they they had you know their own issues that they were working through and always supportive, like very very much like strong support systems within a unit um, and like. Uh, there are like some people who like, I exchange contact information with, um, like keep in touch like afterwards. Like we follow each other on Instagram. Um, so it sounds like it could be <laughs> nice. kind of fun. Question mark. Uh, honestly, it's 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 like once you get past those crisis days, and when you're going like into sort of the back half of the first week, once you sort of figure out sort of okay, this is what the system's trying to do. This is what like this is what's going to happen to me. This is sort of what's going on. Um, then it becomes like a really like like helpful and healthy environment to be in, um, at least in terms of the experiences that I've had. But it's like, it's scary, right? Like, especially intake where like you have, like you're just being questioned um, and you maybe don't trust the person questioning you. And um, you don't know what's, especially the first time not knowing what's going to happen. Like, I didn't, like, I didn't know that I, like, I was going to be in that environment. So it took me like a while to realize, oh, I'm like, not getting out of here unless I stop behaving the way that I've been behaving. Um, so. And everyone's kind of at different points in that 
whatever progression when they're there yeah. right yeah um talking to my therapist about like i i was talking to my therapist about sort of like this um like stigma with holly hill actually and she's like it used to be that they didn't separate like different units based on what what the suspected diagnosis was um so like you would generally want the people who are experiencing depression to be in the same unit um if you're trying to like get them to like relate with each other you would want people with like substance abuse to like uh issues in the same unit you would want like you know whatever however units you want to have um but like holly hill is everyone was just in there together so you had people who were in like severe crisis along with people who um you know were um you know maybe survived like a suicide attempt versus like people who um are just there as a precaution and it can be like a really stressful environment for people who um don't know what's going to happen yeah yeah right that sounds like that could potentially make it worse if everyone around you is kind of like really yeah yeah it makes sense that like people that got discharged might have been discharged with like more horror stories right like if the person in the room next to you is like going through something really really rough well you can you can go to their um you can go to like search them in google maps and like look at their reviews um people leave reviews um so i mean (laughs) obviously obviously if you have a review it's gonna be like polarizing one way or another but i mean it shows that there's like a spectrum of experience for sure um that sounds like the kind of thing that deandre you know how you there's that podcast you like beach too sandy water too wet I love that podcast. I feel like it'd be inappropriate for them to <laughs> to do it for a mental like yeah, health institution. The podcast is it's called Beach Too Sandy, Water Too Wet, and it's the whole premise is that they they choose a theme for the episode. So it'll be like they did one on craft stores in Raleigh, North Carolina, for example, and then they just find one star reviews of craft stores in Raleigh, North Carolina, and then read them on the podcast. Oh, <laughs> like wow. put, That's, and that put, would like, be uh... <laughs> and put like dramatic music behind, like in the in the background as they're reading. It's That's very funny. Wild podcast. It's <laughs> very good. I would I would heavily recommend it. <laughs> All right. Is there anything else that we wanted to that you wanted to talk about, Shrey? Like around, like, do you feel like we covered kind of the stigmatization stuff you wanted to talk about? Yeah, we, we talked about a lot of different things. Um, a lot of different things. Um, yeah. It is God. crazy when they start talking about, like, you know, the how, how like, prevalent it is in our society to, to just be like, you know, like, Romeo and Juliet. And you're like, wow, that was yeah. super fucked up that they're just, like, glorifying yeah. these two kids committing suicide at, like, 13. Yeah, <laughs> yeah Shakespeare, Shakespeare tragedies hit different. Yeah, um. <laughs> like why the hell are we still reading that? <laughs> <laughs> like we should definitely at least provide some con, like some some important context around those and nuance. Or is Hamlet? Those- you know, like uh- <laughs> yeah, yeah. all of them, all of them, <laughs> every single one. <laughs> like it's so it's like every all of these characters that we hold up is these like you know super whatever nuance complex whatever dark characters. You're like mm-hmm. oh wait, all of this is just mental illness. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> and it, i don't know is that a good thing is that a bad thing like not necessarily like we should necessarily not be reading about it or understanding it but like it's never framed that way when you're reading it yeah and it's and i i think that like we re- rereading um like romeo and juliet as an adult it's like this is this is trash this is like not not like yeah. if we were gonna pick like a work of literature to study like why did we pick this one yeah um, what in the fuck I, are we i, mean, I think that like 
as you build conscious awareness, you start to see those things, right? And then you're able to call out like, yeah, uh, this is like a definitely problematic thing within Romeo and Juliet that we should maybe have different conversations about um, when, when they're introduced, especially to like adolescents. Yeah. Um, especially because like that is so, that is what, you know, partially feeds into this trainedness element of like, oh, that's how to show you have depth is if you're whatever, like a sad girl. Yeah. Yeah, I know, and um, I never watched 13 Reasons Why, um, but I know that that was something that was talked about a lot, um, being, like, the very, like, foremost, like, plot point being that if someone committed suicide. Um, yeah. So, well. Yeah. I mean, low-key, my boyfriend is a musician, and I sometimes feel bad being a neurotypical person. I'm like, am I not doing enough for him emotionally that I'm, I'm just happy all the time. He has nothing to write about. <laughs> Dude, I was just telling Shrey on the phone a couple of days ago, like, I can't write anything. Like, I can't write a song or a short story if I'm doing well. <laughs> like, like, if my girl loves me and, like, my job is stable, mm-hmm. I'm fucked. I'm not artistic at all. Yeah. So it's complicated, right? Like, <laughs> what's because, like, you know, all of these, like, you know, part of why all these celebrities are like, oh, you know, let me talk about my mental health issues is like part of why they're famous and why all these people listen to them is like ingrained is, you know, it's like intrinsically linked with their mental health problems. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that's complicated as fuck. Hey, we're not we're not ready for that conversation. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, look, here we are. Another episode with Shrey. Shrey, thanks for coming back for a third time. Thanks for having me. Um, Shrey, you're a great guest because you always, you like, you bring us good topics. I feel like every topic that we've talked about with you, you have brought us. So good. Knocked out of the park. Whoop, whoop. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so we're heading into late stage pandemic. Hopefully. Whoa, 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 whoa. Hopefully. I don't know if I can say that. We're really... heading into we're heading into late 2020 pandemic. Um, how are you doing, man? What's going on? <laughs> Dude, I don't know. Like, I'm like maybe a three or a four out of ten. Uh, <laughs> maybe life kind of sucks. Uh, yeah. I am not doing all that great. Um, but I'm, I'm surviving. I'm, I'm getting through to the next day. Good. Yeah. What is That's your thing? Like, for me, I have, like, my whatever, like, virtual board game nights and i'm like okay at least i have this one thing that's kind of getting me through you know yeah i do i play um i play uh virtual board games with with a group of friends every thursday night so we're gonna we're gonna do that now after we wrap up nice nice yeah and uh some among us every now and again true yeah i've been amonging us a lot uh, <laughs> <laughs> i've got a couple discords i know it's i've got some circles of people dude discord is popping in the pandemic yeah. man <laughs> Yeah, oh I made God. a Discord like a couple weeks ago because of the pandemic. Hopping. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, Shrey, before we get out of here, is there anything that you want to plug or say to the people? I'm the villain. Listen to it. It's <laughs> 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 my top podcast of, uh, of, in Spotify Wrapped. Uh, oh, yeah. Sure. I'm the villain. Wow. Yeah, sure. I'm the villain top pod for Shrey. <laughs> um, okay. And... As always, uh, you can find us at I'm the Villain Pod. That's our Twitter, that's our Instagram, and that is our Gmail account. Um, otherwise, 
Bye.